Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Around the Coin. Uh, this is a special one. I'm excited because we have the three of us, the original founders, Brian Faisal, myself, Mike here. And we're going to dive in today. today. On our side, it's March 25th, Sunday, and we've got a lot of exciting things to dive into. But first, we've got a few announcements. The RemTech Awards are being held in Kuala Lumpur from May 8th to May 10th, and the IMTC EMEA, which is being held in Brussels this year, will be on 16th through 18th of May. I will be attending IMTC EMEA in Brussels, so if you're attending, please come and say hello. However, before that, I will be hosting the Innovation Jam of by Terminos in Abu Dhabi on the 15th of April, and on the 16th of April, we'll be moderating a panel on payments at Seamless in Dubai. If you're in either of the shows, Please step forward and say hello. It's always nice to meet people. This podcast has been made possible by support from Terminos. Terminos is the top-tier core banking software provider to 41 of the top 50 financial institutions worldwide. Terminos has been guiding financial institutions towards their digital future for more than 20 years. Learn more at Terminos.com. Also supporting our podcast is Stellar. Stellar is a platform that connects banks, payment systems, and people. Integrate to move money quickly, reliably, and at almost no cost. For more information, visit Stellar.org. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R.org. For legal disclosure regarding this podcast, please review the message at the end of the show. Okay. Faisal, how are you feeling today? And Brian, how are you doing, man? Doing wonderful, Mike. Nice to be back. How you been? Yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I we pre-show we were just talking about some of the amazing things that Faisal has done with the show since then, and uh, and it's been it's been magical and inspiring to see. And man, there are so many big plans coming. If I, I mean, I'm the number one fan of of what Faisal is doing now uh, as the leader of the. I should call it a organization or umbrella, as there's going to be a, a lot of big things coming down the pipeline. Uh, Faisal, you want to kick us off, man? How are things? How are you? What's new? What are you interested in? Hey, so uh, everything is good. 2018 has been busy. A lot of travel, a lot of conferences, a lot of meetups, big plans for the show. You know, we've introduced additional shows. One is called BDC, which stands for Behind the Coin, based on cryptography and cryptocurrencies and blockchain. We have a show called Money on the Move, everything to do with migration and remittances. 
a few other shows are coming up and as and when they come up you know we'll post them up and this show the original show will be called around the coin the original series and we'll have as always the three amigos mike brian and myself so very excited and very happy to partake in this uh, new journey where hopefully we take it to a next level and the next level one that everyone enjoys further Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Faisal, we were talking a little bit before about, uh, you know, your, you're now living in Turkey. You've traveled more days than, than you've been at home last year. Uh, what would have been, I, I'm just curious from my own perspective, the more, more, uh, engaging, interesting topics that have come up, uh, things that have really kind of, if you were to give a, a brief recap, not recap is to describe all the podcasts you've done recently, but the ones that have stood out to you, the conversations, projects, topics what what sort of comes to to your mind always the same thing uh mike always the same thing and it's i call it the fragmented world of payments i've given lectures and you know series of talks on it it's always the same thing i could walk into a room anywhere in the world and i can exchange an email with you without even you know thinking about it but i cannot exchange money with you that's so there are 1900 payment systems in the world less than three percent are connected we are not talking about the low-hanging fruit we are talking about fruit that's on the ground so always we you know i I see companies i see people ceos groups panel discussions moderators always talking about how we can stitch the fabric of these disparate systems how we can make it so ubiquitous that payments can go from point a to point b to point c we can track Uber cars. We can track, you know, ships going through the Suez Canal. We can track where the space station is in real time. We cannot track a payment once it's gone in. We just cannot track it. Even bankers that operate the networks cannot track where the payment is. It's like a black hole. You don't know if it's going to come out on the other side or not and so forth. So always the same same story. Uh, there are people who are building on top of these existing rails or as i would like to call them shaky foundations and then there are (laughs) others who would like to replace the foundation think of it like like you know i don't know an 1800 rail line a railroad line how fast can you make it uh, a train go on it there are yeah physics comes into play here right so same thing yeah absolutely is, is is with payments so that that's the underlying tone everywhere do you think? I mean, now obviously, crypto is is taking payments to a whole different level in terms of just global fame and interest. Uh, you know, from from everyone really, but in both uh, developers and 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 venture capitalists and the press and everybody. Do you lump crypto now into the the industry of payments? Is it? I do. I, do. I, I suppose it's mainstream topics. And then I suppose the next question, inevitably, is is the answer to you know three percent of all payments systems in the world being integrated is the answer blockchain i mean is it just inevitable that we move to a centralized or decentralized global think about you know if you're sitting in the car next time and you're traveling down the highway look on the side look out of the window try not to look in the distance try looking at things that are whizzing by like the telephone poles or light poles 
someone put that pole in, someone did a lot of work, someone did a lot of digging and putting it one by one by one by one for thousands of miles. Uh, the same, and then they were connected. It's not like someone put in 10,000 poles and they were lit up on one day. You know, they extended it one by one. I think the same thing has to happen with payments. You need to connect all these disparate payment systems one by one by one. Whether you do it through the blockchain or the traditional rail methods, you know, that's really a different story. That's literally choosing do we want to go with LED or incandescent, you know, one of those arguments. I mean, what's the, tell me what's the opposing viewpoint to what I would see as rather than spend decades fixing up all these old antiquated you know broken systems why would people not just move to a, a completely decentralized uh, secure anonymous you know bitcoin like current protocol or, or other they, currencies they can. Uh, uh, that that you just they can't can. shut down i mean it seems like the gravity there is so large so a couple of arguments over there and i think brian has you know spoken a lot on this thing first of all which one do we choose one issued by the United States government, one issued by the Chinese company, or one issued by a company out of Cuba or whatever. Which one do we choose? Uh, that's one. So I think there will be a lot of systems, and hence, they, and they will be all interoperable. Interoperability has to uh, is going to be one of the biggest challenges. But then the biggest thing is, you know, people look, go for the low-hanging fruit. They say, well, there is no need to connect Ghana to, you know, Sierra Leone. There is just no need because the the amount of traffic going in that corridor is very very slim could very well be yes it could very well be that the traffic going from Sierra Leone to Ghana for payments is going to be extremely low but it has to be built because once you build it they will come but the fact of the matter is uh, let me ask a very simple uh, question to you how many transactions do you think happen in the United States that are over $100 every single day give me a number Oh God! The number of transactions over one hundred dollars in the United States per day—I mean, I would imagine there's got to be—I would guess around let's ten thousand a second. No, no. no. Let, let's thousand. say let's say one transaction per person on a uh, so three hundred million transactions. Fair to say, everyone that? makes. Assuming we, sure. we level it out, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. So, okay, how many transactions between zero and a hundred? I would imagine 10 times more. 10 times more? Just 10 times? Yeah. I don't know, Brian, what's your... Uh, <laughs> well, I, I would be much closer that. to uh, 1,000 times okay, more. Okay, so let's say 1,000 times yeah. more. So we know internationally when we move money, the bottom, the, 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 the floor on that money movement is $100. That means the figures that we get from World Bank and everyone else for person-to-person transfers is $600 billion. 600 billion and the least amount you can send is $100. Imagine if you allowed people to send as something as low as $6.42 across the world, so between 0 and 100. If I'm talking about 10 times the multiple of, like like you said, we're talking about a $6 trillion market. If it's 100 times, we're talking about a $60 trillion market. We don't even know how big it is, but the fact of the matter is, from Chicago, to a town, let's say, small town outside Manila, if you want to send $6.42 real time, that means in 10 seconds or less, for a fraction of the cost of the amount being transmitted, that means you're not going to charge $5 to send $6. 
you're going to charge 5% because 5% of 643 is going to be something like 33 or 34 cents. One would not even think about it. And it doesn't happens in real time. Now you're enabling commerce. Now you're literally going to expand the GDP of the world because uh, very simple. There's a guy sitting in Tanzania who's um, earning Google AdWords and he's Google is holding on to $12 of theirs or $11. Google can't pay a person in Tanzania $11 because it costs $25 just to do a wire transfer. But why, why do you... But, 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 but here's the cool thing. $11 puts about four or five days worth of food on the table in Tanzania. Yeah, no, yeah. That, that, I mean, that's got to be hugely needed. And it seems like why why look at what you were saying earlier around uh, which country's currency do we choose? I mean, why would you think of it that way as opposed to just we choose to use Ethereum or Bitcoin or Monero or you know, uh, so on and so forth. Why even associate countries with currencies? Do, do you see that? That, is- that argument will come up. That argument will come up. I, I think it's inevitable because when you look at the the one way of arm twisting, and I'm sorry to use that word, but it is arm twisting or sanctions or whatever you may want to call it, that one country has leveraged over the other is the power of their currency. The United States uses the dollar, the Russians use the, their ruble, the Chinese uses the yuan, and so forth. It's the currency. Currency can be a great manipulator for the others and you know you can debase a currency you can do many things about it but when you have go into the electronic version of this currency you take away that power you take away the power of that bully or being able to arm twist or being able to trip someone and like it or not that's just not acceptable in the current world and the current scheme of things so i think that will always remain that you know who has more power as far as uh, fame and fortune is concerned it all sort of will seem immaterial the minute you know when 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 let's say like like Brian has said it so many times you you drag in a a small meteorite you know that is that's, that's made of 100% diamonds or gold you know everything goes to zero but until then uh, the it's, uh, go ahead but but I think until then the argument will will, will be there you know which which uh, monetary system do we choose which protocol do we choose uh, it won't be one I think it'll be a multitude of protocols yeah, and it seems like it should be free flowing, and, and it is. I mean, it's designed so that you can't stop the system, and it's everyone's individual choice where they want to store their money. So, if there's a you know a stable coin or base coin that are, are designed to hold currency uh, at a, a fairly low inflationary value or low volatility, then you may put you know eighty percent of your money in there. You may keep it some in Bitcoin, but the individual has the right to choose. And I would think maybe, you know, it seems like a, a is, one inevitable future is you just transact the local currency into crypto, store it, use it there, and you're effectively pulling the rug out from underneath the countries and, and, and yeah, taking away their power that, to manipulate. That's a very Californian thought, if I may say. So, you know, par- pardon for being blunt, <laughs> but, but, you know, it is. Uh, if you look at the – if you were to take the same thought and go, you know, 3,000 miles to the east, <laughs> I think the, the, the viewpoint is going to be totally different. The governments look at this as people getting out of control. I mean, I'll, uh, Brian, what's your view on this thing? Well, I agree with both uh, both you uh, gentlemen. You know, we're going to face the same calamities that we're facing with what the internet brought about with the free flow of information. The people that controlled the flow of information prior to the internet were publishers or people on printing presses and people who ran universities. And, you know, where we are now, we're still in the throes of that. 
this whole process that Facebook is going through, what social media is going through, what society is going through by having what is more or less equal access to information, you could see what's happening. And that is, there ought to be a law. There ought to be a regulation that your news is not as good as my news, and this person's data is being influenced by that person. Well, the reality is, everybody has an influence on the interpretation of history, even science. You know, the most disheartening thing, I think, for any student in science or medicine is when you reach that level where you realize that it's not pure. It's not pure. It's not just the op- the, the logical, empirical evidence. It is the politics around it. It is the weighting of somebody's career that built a thir- certain theory around a certain process, and that process is being eliminated. Therefore, university funds are being eliminated. Therefore, textbooks have to be rewritten. And that university professor's place in history will be diminished. We're living through that. And in news, the same thing's happening. Well, this used to be the authoritative source of news. It had a little tinge in this direction, a little tinge in that direction, and and so on. But now that's uh, an issue. Now we look at Facebook. What's going on with Facebook? Well, you know, you have this whole process of, well, what happened in the world the last three years? Did, did, did somebody influence how people acted? Of course, there's always going to be influence. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just giving you the reality. There's been influence on human beings since there, there has been communication. Uh, in fact, most structures of society are formed around that. Now, let, we move on to money. Money is that last bastion of, one could say, like you said, Faisal, control. And it's probably going to be the arc of 25 years. We're going to be living through it, or children and grandchildren are going to be living through it. Yeah, I mean, you know, every and, person in their, who's an adult, every person who's an adult will spend the majority of their life waking up, going to work, working for money. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you know, let's just look at the creation of wealth that ICOs, the good ones, good luck trying to find the good from the bad, right? Or, uh, you know, what we used to call altcoins and uh, Bitcoin proper. Look how much wealth that's created for so many people. It's been transformative. Uh, and as we were talking about pre-show, there have been a lot of people on the sidelines. Back when we started the show, it was more or less a running joke, Bitcoin. It was tulips. There's still people doing the tulip thing about yeah. all this stuff. Uh, but what really happened is real wealth was created. Real forces in, in society have been changing. And now they, they've, it's, it really just shifted, though. I mean, what wealth has been shifted? Well, right? like, uh, isn't overall, that what always happens? But it's a very small well, amount of wealth, isn't it? I mean, what are we talking about? Four or $500 billion in total market cap? Very, very small amounts. What has shifted, certainly, and I would agree with Brian, uh, uh, with, with Mike, is, is the perception of wealth. I mean, you know, the previous wealth was... It's always perception. Yeah, but the previous wealth... Well, the chips have been redistributed. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's a better way of putting it. And and, and And, and that's that's what we're really experiencing. Yeah, redistributed in such a manner, accessible to all. Yeah, and, and, and that's what's really what we're experiencing. So if you look at the analog of how information transformed our society... And how somebody can be in another part of the world and actually, I mean, I know people that do um, Amazon uh, arbitrage. Uh, these are 
people that are not even in the United States. They buy products from company A for price X and they directly ship it to um, Amazon. It's FBA fulfilled by Amazon and they sell it for price Y and they're making up the differential between the markup uh, of what they bought it for and what they sell for. And they've never touched the product. They've never been in the U.S. and never moved anything uh, physically. They have um, preppers that put this stuff together. And I know I've met people that have made millions of dollars doing that. They don't even Some don't even speak English and they're only selling to the U.S. And yeah. so what, what has happened with you know, the logistics, with the free flow of information and the tools, it's fundamentally changed the world. Now it's all merging together with the financial instrument. Now, Amazon requires somebody to be in a certain country to pay them, and they have to have a certain legal identity. But in the future, it's going to be much easier, like Faisal said earlier in the show. And that's going to be transformative to a society. If you look at it from a great distance, it looks wonderful. It looks like this is the way things should be. But if you look at it up close, you have the stories and the, the, the backdrop to it of it's being used illegally, there's you know, dirty corruption all behind this. Uh, there's people using it to uh, extort money out of, uh, out of governments and, and individuals, and this can't be anything good. That's precisely what the Internet looked like in the early days, too. And you know, the gold and, rush. And, Remember, I, I keep coming back yeah, to your answer. The gold your, rush. I, the gold rush, right? People, invent, people made more money in selling utensils and tools to find the gold rather than the gold itself. But yeah, it's true. true. True, but also the, the that that is a bit of a bit of fake news going on there too. So here's kind of what happened when you really look at the real history, and that's what I mean about how history can be interpreted by whatever the political extent is of the writer. The the early people into the gold rush, and at, and a lot of people think the early were the first few months, the first twenty five years, first twenty five years of the dedicated gold rush individuals all made out phenomenally. What what happened was they were being taken, some of the early folks that were not very wise, they weren't very business savvy, were being taken advantage of. Uh, there was no place to get food easily. So they paid 300X for food. There was no place to stay. So they played, paid a lot of money to sleep in you know these one bedroom flats in, in, in town. And of course, the saloons came and all the other things came, the gambling. Right. And a lot of these people lost that money. But the entire San Francisco, in fact, most of North Northern California was built from gold rush money of not just 20 people, but hundreds and thousands of people that got So, so I wonder, do you think that there's a similar uh, sort of redistribution in terms of people's ge geography? So there will be certain countries that take certain stances on regulation, which will more or less push the water in a different direction. So if the I United so. States, for instance, comes out and says, we're going to be as anti-crypto uh, as you could possibly be, well, that's not going to stop crypto in any way, right? It's just water. It's just completely decentralized. So it'll just go to a different location. You know, people who are very interested in it will move out of the United States. People will have companies in, in other countries. And, you know, there'll be a country who ends up naturally taking the lead, and they see it more as a business opportunity, right? Countries economic prosperity you know, think about dental that. for growth think and, about that point. and it's just like the country who offers that is going to win and now I, I still kind of feel that whatever country offers it there's going to be a natural consolidation there where you're going to have the next silicon valley in that location uh that they, they incentivize companies and they incentivize everything else to be stable and mining well, will be located there and 
I think Even it's now already, miners are being yeah shipped out of China and other parts of the world. Yeah, they're they're, they're going to they're going to parts of uh, you know United States, uh, Alaska. But sure. you know, I I think you're absolutely onto something there, and it's already impacted the uh, VC community. I mean, ICOs you know had a tremendous impact on uh, early stage uh, startups. It's so much so that I think the the VC community that we know of today. Uh, looks dramatically different than it did uh, 10 years ago when it was pretty much a monopoly of about 20 primary companies that were flowing most of the money through different channels. Now you're, you're, you're seeing, uh, you know, and, and there's a variations of this, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, all different platforms that are decentralizing the raising of funds and um, getting people who are otherwise not connected to participate in the rewards of investing early on, early stage in a company that is really going to do well. But just like anything, trying to find the good ones from the not so good ones is a challenge. But there are folks that have done very well for themselves. Yeah, and you should, you, should, you should give that you should give that freedom, that ability to make those decisions to everybody. I mean, to think that the SEC, uh, at least the United States, blocks that people under whatever it is, $1 million in net worth and 300000 in combined income, uh, you know, there's a pretty decent high bar, right? 200000 a year in individual income in order to make those kind of investments and be qualified as an uh, you know, accredited investor. That, to me, that just, you're just, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're giving the trump card to the people who already have the money, right? If you can't make investments, you could be the smartest person in the world, but if you make under 200000 you can't invest in companies? But, I mean, uh, in, but, in startups? But Mike, that, that SEC didn't just come up with that. That was, that was lobbying by the vested groups that did not want to see a, just a free flow and you know you said something right now you know if the united states government becomes anti-crypto and it's not but you know let's say they become more uh passive aggressive with respect to their regulation and so forth it's not like you can unlike the gold which in california you could not just move into china in this case you can there is no physical uh, anchoring of the asset to a particular country. You will go to any other country. Japan, for example, is a classical example. We talked about this pre-show. India, Russia, and China had the opportunity to take the lead, take the baton and just run with it. They didn't. Japan has, has taken the lead, in my opinion, so far. It can change. It can change at a moment's notice. But so far, 16 uh, cryptocurrency exchanges are licensed in Japan. 100 plus applications are pending 16 more are coming up for a total of 32 and tomorrow if the united states says well you can't touch the u.s dollar and i won't touch work with bank of mitsubishi or bank of tokyo because they're touching crypto guess what japan will do japan will make jpy as the de facto currency so people worldwide will be buying japanese yen Guess what they'll do with that Japanese yen? They will be bringing that Japanese yen back into their in, into Japan to trade for the crypto. Japan gets direct foreign investment. Japan gets a huge uplift in this thing where their markets are failing and so forth. And they can win the game. That's if they play right. Uh, surely the United States can also come this you know come come at this and and two two months later announce a more liberal scheme and draw the market away because that gold, so to speak, is not anchored down to a particular... Yeah, it's, it's almost counterintuitive in the sense that the countries that will win with the governance policies will have the most liberal policies. There you go. Right, the ones who... Are, which is counterintuitive, right? Because they're actually foregoing control. They're saying control goes to the individuals, the people, the citizens. 
we as a government are going to take a you know very low power control uh, stance. And by doing so, they actually gain greater control, which is just so the underlying have, currency. So, is so we left. Well, that's before the United States. I mean, the 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 whole premise of the United States was, uh, you know, laissez-faire, leave us alone. And, uh, you know, that's why it became the great experiment. That's why everybody wanted to come here. And the, the, the prospect of all governmental systems is ultimately they – they crumble under the rules that they create. If you look throughout history, every year, any government that exists will create more and more laws and no new laws are taken away. There's laws on top of laws, rules on top of rules, case history and case history. Right. Yeah. Until, they never get pulled away until the edifice crushes down. There's, there's no way it doesn't happen. It always happens. And so essentially while you're in it, while you're moving through it, you say, well, yeah, of course we need to get rid of the old laws, but you know well, there ought to be a law against this. I mean, there ought to be a law against that. You, right now, for example, you have major companies, even Facebook themselves, saying we need laws uh, and rules for social media. Uh, yes and no. I don't know. I, I'm not saying I have an opinion on it. I'm saying you're now you're seeing somebody pleading for rules to control them, and. The whole prospect of this, and again, I go back to information is the same as money. The whole prospect is once you start editing something as being true or false, once you start saying that there ought to be a law and then somebody has – I'll give an example. In China right now, there is a a policy that your social media score has to be above a certain level where there's a possibility you might not be allowed to travel. You might not be allowed to visit. I think it was a Black Mirror episode about this. (laughs) Yeah. So we got to watch out what we're asking for. In in the midst of the battle of what everybody's going through right now, asking for more and more rules and laws, what is never really thought of is looking backwards about the unintended circumstances that are created around those things. And I'm not saying... um, or the consequences. I'm not saying I'm for or against this. I'm just saying that it is exceedingly important to look at what history has told us. We can look at prohibition. What did that create? It created an underground economy. It created a lot of what we're existing in today. Most of the underground economy wouldn't have existed unless there was such a massive prohibition against something that people did automatically. If you look at hemp, hemp happens, happens to be an incredibly versatile fiber. But the plastics industry didn't want hemp. If you look at public transportation, Goodyear Tire and Ford Company didn't want public transportation. So you can see that there were rules and laws that were instituted, maybe some would say corrupted, so that certain aspects of society would change. And we don't really see that today. We were talking about smoking earlier, part of the show, uh, before it started. And what a lot of people don't realize is Philip Morris paid for most of the movies during the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. In fact, it, it was re- a requirement for the actors to smoke cigarettes in the movie. And you now you would ask yourself, well, why was that? Was it advertising? No, it was lifestyle manipulation. There are people that are long gone that saw their heroes on the big screen having a cigarette yeah. after doing a movie, uh, you know, and then they're saying, well, I want to be like... Uh, Clark Gable or John Wayne. John Wayne died of lung cancer. He said, I died because Philip Morris told me I needed to smoke on the set and I became addicted to it. 
and he came out and, and you know we don't hear about this stuff but we're, yeah what is the philip morris of today what is being brought upon us today well that's regulation right Str- strangulation that's right. by regulation it, and, it is and and, 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 and the, i'm not and but the point is where do you place the slider so that you are also regulating while at the same time keeping that entrepreneurship uh river flowing you know I, I think I think it requires more cooler heads, and what happens is people feel like they need to go to the streets and demand change, and they will get change. It just may not be what they want. You know, the the problem is we're we're into this problem reaction solution sort of modality. Um, others call it the Hegelian dialectic, and you know. What happens with that is you always wind up getting things that are not good for humanity on the whole. You always wind up getting things that are piecemealed together as a reaction to something that just happened rather than a thought process of what uh, is actually happening. And this is why the founders were very much against a direct democracy. That's why the United States is a republic. A lot of people say, well, that's old-fashioned. Well, the idea was there needed to be a fluff time, a slowdown. Now, unfortunately, the other aspect was you can only serve one term and you go back to life. That wasn't followed. That was pretty much the idea. So there was no less chance of corruption. But, you know, that slowdown was designed to respect the individual uh, right, yeah, not the, the group right. Yeah, I think a lot of these, Brian, to your point, they're, they're reflections in law that just reflect human biases, right? I mean, if you're saying absolutely. that effectively what we're saying in social media is that individuals collectively are um, – the, the ability to manipulate collective consensus is significant, right? If I were to go and I could just spend you know, $500 million on advertising, I could actually get a large number of people to think differently about a specific topic. And that, it's always been that, that way, though. Reality it's always been that way. It's yeah. difficult to cope with because we think we're individual free. We're making decisions on our own. Yet we're so uh, influenced by the world around us. And those influences, those skews, the difference between what you want to believe and you know to be true and what you end up believing and know to be true is is that hu- human bias difference. It's recency bias. It's, okay. you know, it's location gentlemen. bias. It's everything else. We have a couple of minutes left. So let me ask you, uh, Brian, first. In two minutes or less... Where do you see the ICO market going vis-a-vis with respect to regulation? And do you see any, is there any particular country that you would like to highlight or any uh, that, that you think would has an advantage right now? Well, I think um, that's a complicated question. I think you're going to see more regu- regulation. And we talked about this when the very first couple of shows that ultimately regulators are going to regulate. And, um, you know, in the United States, there's more of a knee-jerk reaction to it, and uh, it could very well—I wouldn't say choke off, but uh, you know—radically constrain even the, the best actors. Are there bad actors out there? Absolutely. I've been warning people since day one. Um, what country? I think the countries that take this seriously and that see that, and and to see that financial and technical. And entrepreneurial innovation happens everywhere in the world. It just doesn't happen in the Silicon Valley. And it's utterly ridiculous to, to move people to the Silicon Valley just so that they can go and do the beauty contest and strut down the dog patch and, you know, hang out with the right VCs just so that they can say that, you know, my $9,000 a month one-bedroom apartment 
is keeping me you know, well, whereas innovation is taking place all around the world. And I hope that other countries get to see that. And, and, and not just countries, maybe states. And I think individual states may start standing up uh, and, and saying, you know, they want to have the ability to control some of these things in a, in a better or, or uh, you know, in a better sense than what they think, uh, you know, government uh, as a whole uh, federal level is controlling. So we'll, we'll see. I think it's, a, it's, it's very clouded right now. But I think for anybody listening, you know, what Mike was saying, it's about individual responsibility, just looking at what is going on in the world. And, you know, try not to jump into a crowd that's walking down the street because, you know, sometimes they, they might have good intentions, but maybe the end result isn't what mm-hmm. you really thought it was going to be. But you're gung overall, right? I, I, well, listen, I think anything that is going to allow individual free thought and free creativity to prosper and to flourish helps humanity. And I'm pro-humanity. Anything that helps humans expand and do the things that humans should be doing here on this planet is what I'm supporting. And I think the facilitation of financing uh, and, and to allow millions of people to agree with you rather than one you know, elderly venture capitalist to agree with you, I think maybe that's a better thing. Maybe millions of people, there's wisdom in that crowd in that sense because they're voting with their passion, their hearts, and their minds. You know, whereas the other way around, I don't know if that's such a passionate environment. Mike, you want to give a contrarian view? We will even set yeah, for a draconian yeah. view if you have one. Sure, I, I'm full of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I would look at it and think what, a few just outline parameters to dive into the question would be, what are the goals? So if the goal is to have individual power to control money and then remove that power of manipulation of money from governments, you know, that may be one goal. So you have countries like, you know, Tanzania or parts of Africa that have 30% tariffs uh, on things like even just venture capital. So if you want to, you know, raise money for a company, it's extremely difficult and expensive. So I see goals as being allowing uh, enterprise to flourish through uh, liquidation of these assets, just allowing uh, cryptocurrencies to be freely uh, supported and used and integrated into the local banking system or, or lack thereof. So I, I would view that as sort of an overarching theme. Uh, one of the things I think I, I still struggle to get on board with is the future is going to adopt you know, a thousand different local currencies rather than consolidate across one decentralized uh, currency for different purposes. So to store value, to, to use value for exchanging, to use value for contracting, those sorts of things. Um, I think the countries that end up regulating first will lose first mover advantage. And all this means is where do people physically reside, right? Because if money is stored on blockchain, there's no location, there's no central server, there's no government to control it. But where do people physically reside? They're going to reside, they're going to build companies, and they're going to build you know, their lives around the locations that give them the least risk. So I would absolutely bet if a country is open to immigration and they, you know, maybe they validate the amount of money you have in your crypto wallet, but they say, you can come build your company here. We're going to support you. Maybe we'll even subsidize what you're doing. Uh, and there's no risk. People will absolutely move. And the beautiful part is you don't have to carry cash in a suitcase to move. You don't have to wire transfer. You can just buy a pass, you know, buy a, buy a flight and, and move to the country that allows you to do that. So I think uh, as immigration and local regulations change, it'll, it'll kind of warp the trajectory of, of uh, you know, crypto and how it, how it impacts global commerce. Quick question, 30 seconds each. 
how do you see taxation being affected by this thing? Yeah, I listened to this fantastic podcast. I want to hear Brian's thoughts on this too, but I listened to this fantastic podcast on uh, A16Z about taxation on Bitcoin. And these there was these two lawyers and they were discussing, they, they actually do some high profile clients. One of, one good example was they said, well, um, one of our clients this year made you know tens of millions on, on Bitcoin, just the price increase. And they're now debating whether do they report this as income and you know, effectively give away thirty uh, percent, or do they not? And there's so there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of ambiguity, and I think the government was late to come out and say you know what their policy was going to be around taxation. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's it shouldn't be used. It shouldn't be viewed as a, a methodology to evade taxes. If it is, that's going to lead to countries quickly wanting to regulate it because they're they're effectively taxes are power for the government. And the government doesn't want to lose power, so they're going to restrict and implement local regulations to try to conceal that power, to try to keep that power. So I would view it as a threat, um, but ultimately it's going to be up to people, whether people are individually reporting, whether they're you know looking at this as a fair exchange of value, the government's come out with clear policies around taxes uh, and regulations. If they don't, then I think people just tend to under-report, and uh, that could lead to, uh, I think, a backlash, uh, which isn't good for anyone. I, I agree, Mike. And, you know, I, I think ultimately all countries are going to probably be moving to, I don't know if it's a value-added tax program, but taxes at purchases, taxes at, um, you know, uh, anytime so somebody is spending money. It's called tax at source. Yeah, tax at source. I, I think that's the most logical way to do this because I think doing it the other way, trying to track people down and make examples and have inquisitions and hunts and going into people's crypto wallets – Nobody wants to live in that world. And anybody that thinks that that's a healthy world to live in, good luck with you. Because it's just going to get ugly and messy. You know, I, I could just see 20, 50 years from now, grandmas and grandpas being hunted down saying, let's look at your crypto wallet and where are you hiding it. Consumption tax. Let that be the, the, the way to get taxes. And I think it's a more honest way to tax people. Because I think if you consume a lot, you're you're bringing a lot into society, and you know that's not a bad thing. I mean, if you have a lot of money, you all have a lot of money to spend. You should probably be taxed yeah. on it more. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you just hypothetical. Uh, Faisal, I'll point this one at you. So hypothetically, we live in a society right now where there has been and there is no local physical cash. So it's completely uh, 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 you know electronically traded funds. It's controlled by the government. So we're living in this world, and there's you know there's no blockchain. This is a hypothetical. Okay. So now we we the government wants to institute a thing called cash. They want to print pieces of paper, declare them equal values of you know individual units of U.S. dollars or whatever they are. But it comes with one catch. It's different than the world we live in today by being that every dollar has an identification tracker on it. So every dollar has to be assigned an individual social security number or. Um, individual person identifier so we can track the physical local currency so we know when you're exchanging it we know we know where it is we know everything about this dollar bill it effectively goes from what we think of cash today as to sort of attract physical but you, currency. you know everything uh, about do you uh, think no no you know everything about who's exchanging it but not what it is being exchanged for correct correct so there's some exactly how bitcoin is today you know I, i'm exactly, effectively exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, pushing into the corner of um, well, that's effectively what Bitcoin is. That we can see who owns it, we can see when it's exchanged. It's anonymous in the sense that it's just tied to a number. Uh, we can see how much, but you you're you're also given the advantage that it's um, 
you know, that is not uh, captured. It's not uh, controlled by a central organization like a bank. It's not centralized in that sense. Well, uh, do, do you think? How do you think people would react to that? I mean, is that a? I mean, you, you know, think we'd be up in arms trying to digest that thought? <laughs> Probably. You know, I mean, you know, a, a, anything where you take the existing status quo and bring about a monumental change in thinking, uh, and the way we interact and think about with with what we call our money. Uh, and you know, because I'm assuming in the world that you're describing, we are very comfortable with the government and the financial institutions being the custodians of our money and being able to track every single penny to the last uh, cent, right? And now we have the system where we say, no, well, we are going to detether it, and you can take this money and give it to anyone else. Except this time, the only difference is we don't know what you're trading it for. So yeah, I'll be worried and so forth. So anytime you take a contrarian view to what is the status quo, we will there will be pros and cons. But it's a great it's it's, it's a great analogy. It's almost like you know uh, this book Time's Arrow. If you ever read it, uh, it's it's you know it's about a guy documenting a world where time is going back in 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 reverse. So children are born as adults in graveyards and they die on their mother's wombs you know so and, and then you can you know, do the whole thing you you go you go vomit things out and all that stuff and take it and and you, and and you, and you and you put them into packages and you go to supermarkets and you exchange them for money so it's it's whenever you change the perspective you know there's always an argument and it's a very interesting and a very powerful argument i don't know where where we will be with the taxation issue but it certainly is going to be a challenging one. Well, gentlemen, time's up uh, mm. this one, and we will take this next week, hopefully. Uh, thank you for getting on the microphone, and hopefully we will speak soon. Love it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was perfect. Thank you, guys. Bye. The views and opinions expressed on any program are those of the hosts, co-hosts, and guests appearing on the show and do not necessarily reflect the view of the owners and producers of the show. Paid advertisements in form of audio announcements may appear throughout the show, including this one. Advertising can also include print and other digital formats. The owners and producers of Around the Coin do not endorse or evaluate the advertised product, service, or company, nor any of the claims made by the advertisement. All programs are subject to a one-time charge for professional editing fees, for which the interviewing guest or guests may have contributed towards. The owners, producers, hosts, co-hosts, and guests on the show are not financial advisors. Any investment advice or opinion cited during the show is for information purposes only. None of the content is intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for investment advice. If you believe there's been any violation of your copyright, trademark, service mark, or any other type of intellectual property, please inform us in writing by sending an email to legal at aroundthecoin.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.